Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. So this is King Caroose, the Black History Buff, and this is another episode of Your Stories Told Your Way. And on this particular episode, I was very privileged to be able to speak to the absolutely delightful Jessica Jane Robinson, otherwise known as Resilience Birthright. Now, Jessica Jane Robinson is a world climate leader who has assisted with uh, former Vice President Al Gore with the climate change movement. And I was very privileged to be able to have this conversation. So please kick back, relax and enjoy the show. So my guest today on the Black History Buff podcast is Jessica Jane Robinson. Um, I came across jessica on instagram and i was immediately drawn into her ig page because it was comic based now i am a huge comic geek um i had a an enormous back catalog of comics going all the way back to we're talking x-men in double digits not triple digits and it was stolen and it broke my heart and it's only recently I've started to buy comics again. Mm. So when I saw Jessica's page, um, I was drawn in by the, by the character she's created called Resilience Birthright. And it instantly drew me in because it reminded me of Captain Planet. And But it was a woman and she was a black woman and it's written by a black woman. And I was just absolutely yeah. stoked. So I got talking to Jessica <laughs> and it turns out she's an absolutely amazing person with an amazing backstory and has an amazing cause. So I've got her on the podcast today so that rather than me bleat on about it, um, Jessica Jane Robinson can tell her own story. So Jessica, yes. um, welcome to the Black <laughs> History Buff podcast. Uh-huh. Thank you for giving me some of your time today. Thank you for um, agreeing to share some of your story with um, my listeners today. Um, thank you. How are you? Oh, I, oh, I, you know, I, I feel very blessed and I am just very grateful and very humbled <laughs> that you found me and that social media and everything that I have been creating on um, my Instagram platform is beginning to show results. It's like, it's like the universe is giving me little signs like, yes, you're on the right path. So I feel very blessed and I feel very honored and humbled to be on your show right now. Thank you. you. Um, Like, I, I think it's one of the things that since being on social media and kind of sharing the stories about black history, one of the things that's really blessed me is I've come to appreciate the social part 
of social media because I have gotten to speak to some amazing people and shared some great stories and received some great stories and lots of motivation as well. And I think, you know, I've read your bio, you've got a great story. And from what you've told me personally, and from what I've read, it is wonderful what you're doing at the moment. So, um, please, uh, like I said, mm-hmm. this is uh, this portion of the show is really for you to tell your story your way. So, and it gives me a break from hearing my sure. own voice for a bit. So, um, <laughs> so, so please, um, like you, you know, you've you've got a rich history. So please start where you feel comfortable and tell us who you are, what you've done, and and what you're doing at the moment. Oh, sure. So my name is Jessica Jane Robinson. And um, so let's see, my life started (laughs) with my parents, um, who I am. It really, my parents um, really um, planted the seeds Mm -hmm. of who I am today in terms of my creativity and my drive and my motivation and my strength. And, um, so my father was a reggae artist, um, Mm -hmm. in the reggae movement. Um, and my mother helped bring reggae into the, into the United States. So, yeah. And so my parents met in the music industry and my mother, um, she was known as daughter West and she was responsible for bringing reggae into the West coast um, like California coastline. And there was four of them. There was daughter North, daughter South, daughter East and daughter West. And my mom was daughter West. And my father, like he came out, you know, touring with like Bob Marley, Peter Tosh, Jimmy Cliff, like all of them. And I have, um, I have pictures of Rastas that my mom knew back in the day. I I found photos like years ago. Um, of yellow man no yellow man just for the listeners my father um was is is also a rastafarian and he used to and and my uncle used to run sound systems in the uk so for those who don't know sound systems are from jamaica and they're basically a dj and the biggest speakers you've ever seen in your life um it's it's kind of where Mm -hmm hip-hop kind of came from and my dad used to own a record shop and Mm -hmm. he would tour with bands as well so your background is we're aligned here and i definitely know who yellow man was he used to scare the living daylights out of me as a child when i when i saw i'm just gonna be honest as a child (laughs) i would just see yellow man and he had this really bright bubbly personality and i love the songs but the first time i saw a music video um, and when I got to go as a child to Sunsplash, and I lived in an era where kids could go to those things, right? Um, I saw him the first time and I was like, mm-hmm. oh my God, Me who's too. that? It was only years later that I realized that he was an albino and that's actually how he looked and it was fine. And and I totally understood what was going on there. But as a kid, it just freaked me out. I didn't know any better. I know better. Oh, Lord, hey. 
it's all good. Um, I when I was a little girl, I thought um, Boy George was a girl, and I thought he was very pretty. Different time, so, different. Like, it is what it is, you know. Different time, different era, and like kids. Um, but yeah, so my my parents were in the music industry, and actually, when my father passed away, it actually um, re- I was I was blessed with the. Um, realization of how much my father was loved and known and respected in the reggae community because I, I grew up and I was raised in the Bay area. And when he passed away, um, I got condolences from like the idols and, you know, um, and, um, pressure pressure when he just came out with his, um, Mm -hmm. love and affection song or was it? No, 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 no. It was even before then. It was like his first album um, pressure had come out and he was performing in San Francisco and he even gave me his condolences in the middle of his like performance. Like after one of the songs, he stopped and said, George Robinson's daughter is here. I want to, you know, give my condolences. And I was, I was in the audience and I was just really kind of stuck like, Whoa, you know, um, in terms of the love and, um, from from everybody especially in the reggae community it was it was very um it was very beautiful and so um yeah so my both my parents were artists um my mother was kind of more of like the perfectionist artist um multitasker multi-talented wears many cats and my dad was the uh and, and with my mom like running like you know, starting like running newspaper ads. She was like working for like the Oakland Chronicle and um, the San Francisco Chronicle and um, and the Alameda Times Star and like just always doing things. And then my father, he was a mechanic, a master welder wow. and a reggae star. So he would travel around the Bay Area and perform. And so I had a really interesting upbringing, but um, watching both of them, unfortunately, I lost them both at a young age. I lost my mom when I was 10 and my father when I was um, wow. uh, just before my 21st birthday. And um, but in the time frame that I did have them in my life, they really instilled a lot of solid traits and um and skills that have carried me through and, um, have helped me build resilience and actually have helped me become resilience. Yeah. So, you know, through the loss, there was a lot of blessings that came and, uh, and on top of that, it also helped me, um, go and search for, happiness and like Mm de-stressing. And, um, because after I lost my parents, I was, you know, I'm sure like many people on the hustle, you know, and also trying to not give up on my dreams and feeling lost, but not trying to be lost. So it's like, you're, you're stumbling in a black tunnel, but you're like having faith that you'll see the light at some point. And so that was like my early twenties. And, um, and then in the process, um, uh, right before or right after I graduated college, um, I started interning with my godfather, Rankin Screw and Ginger, who um, they're also um, artists and legends. Um, they they created um, 
Hawaiian reggae. Wow. And, um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I was, I like th their album was one of my first albums that I ever had as like a little girl. I was like a super fan of Rankin, Screw and Ginger. Okay. And, um, so Rankin, Screw and Ginger. And cause I'm, I mm -hmm. will be Googling these and going on Spotify. Yeah, absolutely. And your father was George Robinson and it's George and the George Wonders, Robinson right? from George and the Wonders. Ah, yeah. Got it. Okay. Please carry on. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, after I graduated from college, I interned for my godfather, Rankin Screw. And he, you know, he had me do like a lot of like nitty gritty basics, like build his database for, you know, his tour routes, mm -hmm. like from like in California, Colorado, you know, all different states and reaching out to venues. And, um, you know, he was creating his... Uh, he was creating his album solid at the time. And I was doing a trade with him where I'd work for him and he would give me voice lessons. Mm -hmm. And, um, but not only that, I mean, he gave me so much. I mean, he gave me skills. He taught me how to like build my own fan base, how to manage my fan base, how to, um, how to actually like create and manifest. I really learned it at his studio and, um, he gave me voice lessons and we, we released solid and we had his album, um, on, uh, telegraph Avenue at, on like on the wall at Rasputin, um, in Berkeley, there's this record store that has, um, this historical record store that has all of these like records, um, covers mm -hmm. like on the front along the building and Rankin screw solid was there and we got it there. And that was like huge for me. I put a whole year of my life after college into it. And then once we were complete releasing solid, I remember just sitting on his couch and I was just like, wow, now what? Yeah. And then Rankin screw looked at me and he goes, Jesse, what do you mean now? What? He's like, what do you want to do next? And I'm like, um, well, I wanted to start acting and he goes, well, start acting. And I'm like, well, I need to get an agent. And he's like, well, get an agent. And I'm like, I need my headshots and stuff. And he was like, girl, go call Nana. And Nana is like this famous photographer in the Bay area who like does like all of the Bay area artists like Guapole and, um, Dwayne Wiggins from Tony, Tony tone and Rankin screw. And you know, um, Keisha Coles, like he works with all of these like artists and does like their album covers and stuff. So he's like, just go to Nana. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. So I go to Nana and Nana hooks me up and I had like my first photos that started getting my foot in the door. And then, um, I think about a year later, I stumbled across Miss California, USA, which I have to admit, I did not ever think I was a pageant mm -hmm. girl. Um, because I, I had like low self-esteem. I grew up you know, mixed. Um, my mother was Caucasian and, um, with, with native background or European mix with native mm -hmm. as well. And my father, you know, was Rasta and I, you know, I grew up in like the eighties, nineties. Well, I was, in, I'm not going to give my age, but I, mean, I was little on me. <laughs> well, I gave it up, <laughs> but I grew up, you know, and um, in a time where, you know, being mixed wasn't, especially like where I grew up at, like I grew up in like a small, like little Island and diversity was very, very yeah. little. I was probably the only black girl in my school or in my class most of the time. So growing up being different, um, my sense of like beauty was different. So I wanted to be like my mom because I wanted to be like everybody else. 
Um, but luckily for me, my mom was very Rasta. Mm. <laughs> and she was the type of woman, even though she was blonde, she would have shirts that said life began mm. in Africa, you know? And so she was very, very strong in, um, in, um, you know, raising me around my roots, around reggae, um, around the, um, uh, like growing up with, um, interest in Egypt and astrology and the stars. And so I'm grateful for the time that I had with her because, um, as I grew up, um, I started to embrace mm. myself. Um, yeah, it's a long journey. Um, but so when the Miss California pageant came along, um, I didn't really think I would get in, but I just submitted because the, um, the application kept popping up in my email and I kept ignoring it. Cause I was like, yeah, not for me, not for me, but nothing else was happening. And I think it was like in April yeah. or something, March or April. And there was like a drought for jobs for acting jobs or modeling jobs. And it finally just pop kept popping up. And then one advertisement said, would you like to win a hundred thousand dollars? And I was like, yeah, that'd be nice. <laughs> So I like clicked it and then I like ignored it and I went off about my business. And the next thing you know, I get calls from them and they're like, we're going to be in the Bay area, come to this interview. And I was like, okay. And the next thing you know, I'm Miss wow. Alameda changed my life, changed my life. Um, and then all of a sudden the blessings poured in. I had people coming from all areas, um, at advisors for like former mayors of Alameda were advising me on poise and interviews and, you know, make, getting me connections so I could fundraise, like all of a sudden just all these blessings started coming in. And next thing you know, I took it really seriously and I wanted to actually walk my talk on stage. And so a year later, I have a program named after me in the city of Alameda called Miss Alameda Says Compost. And then three years later from that, um, my program helped pass the mandatory recycling and compost um, law in the city of Alameda following San Francisco. And just one thing after another just led to um, me developing my superhero and that was honestly just a response of neglecting my acting and my modeling jobs and really focusing on Miss California USA and my program and being stressed mm. out that, you know, um, my grandmother had said to me, you know, I haven't seen you really going for any acting jobs or modeling jobs. Like, are you giving up your career for this? Like your, your dream. And I was like, you know what? I'll show you, I can balance the two. So I wanted to show her, I could balance the two, like my, my, my newfound passionate career with my dream yeah. of being an actress and a model and a singer and all of that. So I told her I was going to create a short film and star in it. And I'm thinking, I was thinking I was being so <laughs> clever. I was like, yeah, I'll star in my own movie. <laughs> it's going to be based on my platform and I'll use it for audition. Peasy, right? <laughs> right. It's like, okay. Right. I'll just make a little short film, star in it, and then I can submit it for real when I go to auditions. And it's like, I'm accomplishing so much all in once, right? Well, little did I know that idea turned into Recycle Woman, which um, after I showed it in a little theater, people, or actually in the community local theater, people were like, you need to bring this to Al Gore. Kids need to see this and yada, yada, yada. 
and pretty much um, in the attempt of trying to deliver recycling into Al Gore, I became a climate leader. I started working in schools and um, I also began meditating around the same time because my stress was very like hard. Yeah. It was very unmanageable. And so I began meditating as a form of balance and centeredness, which worked, thank God, in time and practice. <laughs> um, but my superhero, like in, in doing research as a climate leader, everything just kind of evolved and changed and resilience was born. And now I have my graphic wow. novel series. I mean, there's so many amazing things that you've said there, but the one that jumps out to me more than the, the what happened with your parents and your uncle and getting the record done is you just did it. Like, the, you know, when you were talking about, you know, get your headshots done. Yeah, just call so-and-so. Get an agent. You know, just get an agent. Um, that kind of mentality <laughs> just kind of, you can almost hear kind of, well, just do it. Um, almost manifested itself when you applied for the pageant you know, like Miss California, ah, yeah. I'll just apply for this. And it's just amazing how sometimes with that one decision to say yes to something that you'd normally say no to, or that you don't think you can do, can literally just change everything. I mean, you said it right there, it changed your whole life. You won that competition, it opened it so many doors to you. And as you put it, the blessings poured in. And I, I think that's just really amazing. And then taking you all the way through from that one decision to click yes on that email and send that application off took you to meeting Al Gore, who, for those who don't realize, was mm -hmm. a shade away from being president of the United States, or at least, you know? No, I know. It's so heartbreaking. So, so heartbreaking. And um, that's, just, that's just amazing. And I think a lot of people can take a lot of inspiration from that. And I certainly will look at some of the opportunities that come my way and try to say yes to a lot more of them. Because I think we're all guilty of sometimes saying no to things that we should say yes to. So like, that's amazing. Well done. Well, it's, 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 mm -hmm. it can be fear, right? If we're afraid of change or we don't know, it's the unknown. Um, but honestly, at that time I had nothing to lose. <laughs> So I just did it. And that's, that, that's kind of the thing that I would kind of, that the really interesting thing about my journey when I was in my twenties was that, um, I would go and just do something. Cause someone mm. would say, well, why don't you just go and do it? And then I'd go and do it. And then as you would say, it would be manifesting and it really wouldn't sink in that it was manifesting. I, I remember when I was maybe I was, I think it was October and the pageant was in November for Miss California USA. And it was my first year, you know, competing in the pageant. And it was, you know, little Miss Alameda. And I remember just sitting on a, on my grandma's couch and all of a sudden it just sank in. I, it just sank in. I was like, Oh my God, I miss Alameda and I'm going into, I'm competing for Miss California. And my grandmother looked at me and she goes, um, yeah, you've been Miss Alameda for like <laughs> a year. <laughs> But I remember just looking at her like, oh my God. She's just like, um, yes. Oh, bless. Grandmothers are great, right? <laughs> yeah. They yeah. just take everything in their stride. Like, She's like, yeah, how did course, you miss baby. that? 
How could you not realize? <laughs> oh, right. So, yeah, yeah, and that that happened a lot of times where I was just all of a sudden just slowing down, and I'm like, whoa. Well, I mean, yeah. I, I can really hear your humbleness come through because. I mean, you talk about uh, climate change and meeting Al Gore and becoming, uh, doing, you know, but in, in the process of that, uh, the few things you said, which could easily slip under the radar, you helped influence a law change, which is no mean feat mm -hmm. to get legislation, no. to, to help <laughs> legislation go through, to pass a law. I mean, you fundamentally changed where you live. Yeah. You've met. Al Gore, who could have been president of the United States at one point, and you've all, you are also a climate leader. Like you are amongst the world's climate leaders. So please ex explain to people who are listening what that I means. Am. And thank you for your humbleness, but not now. You tell it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> all right. Well, um, well, as a climate leader, I go out and I educate the community people about climate change. And so I do that in many ways. I have documentary series called resilience climate change expedition. It's really long. It's a long name, but I have part one, part two, part three, part four is, um, in, uh, it's in uh, post-production and, um, What's super cool is I got to interview Lieutenant Governor Gavin Newsom. Oh, he's not mm. Lieutenant Governor. He's Governor now, the Governor of California, Gavin Newsom. I got to interview him when he was Lieutenant Governor in 2012 uh, for my climate change expedition um, for my first documentary, which is like huge. And Gavin Newsom's been very supportive, um, and I'm very grateful because um, he he gets he gets. All he understands zero waste. He understands sustainability, and he's just a really cool, cool guy. Um, and so I do documentaries. Um, I do community outreach. I will help implement pilots. Um, but with my team, our goal when we do pilots is really to show the value of human connection versus, um, versus government sending out pamphlets to people and expecting that to like cause change or create change or create change behavior patterns. You know, like a brochure is going to all of a sudden get someone to change their behavior. Maybe, maybe not. Right. And there's a low percentage of turnout. So, um, my, my mentor and colleague, we really do believe in cultural and social change and that it really starts with like human connection and speaking to people one-on-one -on -one and explaining it to them and showing them. And so, um, you know, in any way, shape or form, and that's also the reason why, um, I created resilience. She's a superhero addressing climate change. And people look at me like, really, that's interesting. Like, how are you going to do that? And it's through influence. It's through show and tell it's through okay. storytelling. It's through not just storytelling, but showing the story, the, the nuances of the characters actions in the graphic novel series. And that will soon Amazing. be turned into a TV show. Um, so that's, that's what I focus on. And I also work in schools. I work, um, 
in many schools around the Bay area and I work with kids K through 12. Um, one of like my passions is actually working with teenagers and getting them inspired to like start projects and programs of their own. Because let me tell you, the youth are powerful. If you give them reasons why we need to make changes and what's happening and if they're passionate and they're leaders, like they're pretty much unstoppable. And so I kind of consider the youth my they secret are. weapon, they are the passion <laughs> you know, because there. like, and I mean, so they are. when we, so climate change is like, is the mm -hmm. problem of our generation era planet, right? Right now. Uh, uh, but right. I think that a lot of people don't, it's such a big topic that people kind of, almost shy away from it. I know I've certainly been guilty of that in the past of just kind of just put my head in the sand and just keep, keep it moving. I'm just going to be honest. It, what things do you think people need to be aware of regarding climate change? Like, and what can people do? So what are the, what are the key points and what are the key kind of things that we can do to make a difference? Wow, there's so many things that we can do. But um, first is first is just understanding that we have the power to change climate change because based on my research and my personal belief, I do believe that humans are the creators of climate change. And I also do believe that it's due to um the imbalance of our ecosystem, which is due to depletion of our natural resources, which is caused by um, consumerism and supply and demand and mass depletion of our home so and our world. So if I was world, to play devil's right? advocate, because there's a lot of information and misinformation uh -huh. out there, you know, let's, what would you say to someone who's maybe perhaps watched the YouTube video that says climate change is a hoax? Like, what's the evidence to show that? Convince me. Why is it not a hoax? I've watched something on YouTube. Trump says it's not. Trump says it's a hoax. Let's burn some coal. <laughs> what? Okay. Yeah. So, you know, the reality is I do not really focus mm -hmm. my energy on naysayers because that is, that is, that is a one-way ticket of, of, um, of surrendering okay. my energy to energy vampires. Um, and it goes not very far. It takes a lot of energy just yeah. to be absorbed into another person. And I barely make any headway. And the way I was able to pass the law or help pass the law in Alameda was not by banging my head against the door with the naysayers. It was actually going to the people that got it, that said, yes, it was that, so my program, Miss Alameda Says Compost, was a program getting restaurants to recycle and compost. It was a little simple project, but as soon as I started converting restaurants in Alameda to recycle and compost, the whole dynamic changed. And so a little bit of history behind this is that my mentors, they're like the, like the founders of Zero Waste. Um, and, and, I have, and I have mentors and friends that are part of the Zero Waste International Alliance all around the world. Um, but my mentors in California, the Bay Area, they actually passed a measure, it's called Measure D, which got 
the three streams, compost, recycle, and landfill, um, got that program going for Alameda County. And that was huge. But the thing is, is that the city of Alameda, all the restaurants were able to have access to this program and they would actually have a discounted rate on their garbage bill. They would actually, I think it was like, they got a free 96 gallon compost, a free 96 gallon recycle bin. Um, and then anything more than that, um, it was 20% off the cost of landfill. So you would think as a business owner that you would want to max increase your saving, increase your profit, right. And decrease your expenses. Um, but there was maybe like only two or three restaurants out of like over 200 restaurants on the Island or 300 restaurants on the Island, actually composting and recycling. There was only like two or three out of like 300. It was like 1%. And so when I got started in 2010, I literally started going restaurant by restaurant, but I started with people that I knew. And, um, and after maybe like, the first three restaurants were signed up, five restaurants were signed up and I would do like little events for them. I'd give them certificates. I would promote them on YouTube. Like there's some like old YouTube videos from when I was like really trying to pump up the businesses that were doing the right thing because yeah. it wasn't mandatory then it was volunteer. But the thing is, is that what happened is that more and more restaurants started becoming aware of the program. And once I had maybe 10 or 15 restaurants, I could share with other restaurants, well, so-and-so is doing it and this is how much you can save. And my program is providing X, Y, and Z. I will come in and I'll give you technical assistance. I will help you with your, um, your employees. Everything is color coded. I mean, we made it so simple, so easy. And next thing you know, we had about um, you know, a hundred restaurants compost and recycling on my program. And then we were able to get the shopping center composting and recycling on the program. And we were able to do that because we had such a mass amount of people on the program or businesses on the program that the city was becoming to, was starting to feel more confident with the idea of making it a mandate. And so at that point, I could actually go to the shopping center and say, this is the changes that are happening on the island and this is coming and I'm here to give you free assistance because my work was actually supported by grants and I can provide you this free assistance and I'm here right now. Um, but when this is, when this goes mandatory, you know, you're going to need to like get it together that I can help you right now implement it. And that way you can be ahead of the game. And so like the biggest taxpayer in Alameda said yes to me and we started making changes on the property. And then after that, I mean, the city was like, well, our biggest taxpayer wow. is doing it. We can make it a mandate. So once again. And that's how it happened. One said yes. And, and the so, blessings came in, right? Yeah. 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 So I just choose to focus on the positive energy. Like what you focus on grows. And I didn't know I was doing it at the time, but it's true. And so I focused on the ones that understood the, the like-minded folks and they, and once we had a core group 
we were able to influence others to join in. And then at some point it was like, what, you're not on the mass program? What um, other, other technical assistants started coming into the island? And I remember some people telling me, um, one business owner wants Miss Alameda <laughs> and they want their certificate. <laughs> so, you know, it just became like a branding. It's like they wanted that too. They wanted bragging rights, you know? Amazing. So, yeah, I, 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 so when people ask me that question about what do I say against naysayers, you know, I just tell them the facts. Like yeah. I just give them facts. I'm not going to like argue with someone and tell them whether or not I think climate change is real. I'll just tell them, well, you know, like we have species that are dying out. You know, our oceans are like seriously um, polluted with plastics. There's more plastic in the ocean than there is plankton in the starting of the food chain. We have whales beached up with like tons of stuff in their stomachs. The albatross are dying out. Um, you know, I, I can bring up facts that the U.S. consumes majority of the world's natural resources. The U.S. throws away majority of the world's natural resources. And when you throw compost or food waste, organics in the landfill turns into methane gas. And methane gas is way more harmful than carbon dioxide. So it's just like all of these, you don't have to like necessarily argue what something is real or not. Just give people facts. It's like, can they say, oh, like this is not happening when it obviously is. I mean, I just focus on what I can't, you know, like I just focus on the facts that I'm like super solid with that pretty much is all interconnected with climate change. And that's what I, that's what I do. And exceptionally to me, solid. And that solid. is exactly why you, know? you are a climate change leader and you get laws changed. <laughs> focus on the solids. That's amazing. So thank you. Talk to me about resilience birthright. So I've, obviously, I've seen it. Like I said, I, I opened by saying I'm a huge comic book geek. Um, I saw what looked like a modern day Captain Planet. My, my copy is winging its way to me now. I've seen <laughs> album, I've seen, sorry, I've seen um, yeah. artwork from the graphic novel. You sent me some some pages, which I'll be putting up on on my website so people can get a glimpse of those too. Tell me about resilience birthright. Um, what, how, how did it come about? What is it about? How can people get behind it? Sure. So resilience. So it's so funny. So after my, my event, I was a stress ball. And so I was looking for something to help me. And so, um, I started mm -hmm. meditating in 2012, January, 2012. And, um, around that time, um, I was working with, um, the, the person who was my mentor and, um, who I had hired to direct my, my movie recycle woman. And so we actually, um, made a meeting with this man, Vince de Quattro, who worked at, um, who, who used to work with George Lucas and he had a studio, um, in San Rafael. And it was like the original studio that like star Wars was filmed and like, all of like some of the major classic classics. And so, um, I went to that studio and Vince, um, watched recycle woman and he loved it, but he was like, but there's a few things you need to change. He was like recycle woman. He was like, I don't know if that name's really gonna like make it big. He was like, so we got to figure out a new name. And he was like, in the, in the costume, he was like, I think we need something about the costume. He was like, 
you know, so there's just like a few tweaks. And by the way, it needs to be branded as a superhero. So every superhero is a comic. And so he's like, you need to like, you know, get your comic branding. And I'm like, and you know, I'm the person that people tell me what I need to get done. I'm like, got it. Check, check, check. I write it down. And then I go on a mission to accomplish it. So that's what I did. Um, and that was in April when, um, when I met with Vince and by October, um, I realized that after doing a lot in at that, that was the same year I became a climate leader under Al Gore. I actually, um, became a climate leader that August of 2012. And I was starting to work on my resilience climate change expedition. And actually, you know what? I, I interviewed Lieutenant Governor Gavin Newsom in 2013 or the end of 2012. Um, cause I think I said I interviewed him in 2012, but I think it was, it could have been mm-hmm. towards the end of the year or in the following year, probably like January of 2013. Anyways, everything I've done is kind of like morphed into this like weird timeline for me, <laughs> but cause everything overlaps, but it's all interconnected. Um, so when I was doing research for my climate change expedition about like the drivers of climate change, I realized Vince was right. Mm. The name recyclement didn't really make the cut. And I also realized that if I kept recycle woman, I would be limited to just recycling. And the dynamic and the issues and the challenges that we're facing are so much more, and it's so much more complex. And it was actually after I was having a falling out with my director who I had been working with, I didn't, I no longer wanted to continue working with him. Um, we had a little bit of a legal debate. And so in the process, I was advised I could do a couple of things. I could, um, I could, you know, take him to court and fight for recycle woman, or I could start over and starting over was probably one of the hardest things that I could ever do because recycle woman was my baby. And this might Mm -hmm. sound funny, but I, I actually found my identity in her. Like I felt like just like Miss Alameda and Recycle Women, I felt like they were my identity. And so not having those meant that I had nothing, which is, that isn't a healthy way of thinking and it's not correct, but I had to go through that. And so after a horrible confrontation one night trying to sever ties, I came home and I had a, I had a dream and, um, Resilience's mother sent her daughter in a, like a little aircraft into the universe. And she said, rise like a Phoenix from the ashes of our people, be resilient. And I shot up out of my bed and I was like, Oh my God, that's her name. That's her name. And I like grabbed my dictionary and I looked up the word resilient and I was and you know, it was like to bounce back into shape after being bent out of shape to come out of like depression, to you know, come out of adversity, even better to be a Phoenix. Like that is resilient. And it was like in a dream and it wasn't even a word that I was even using at the time. And this was before we started healing, hearing about resiliency plans and all of this stuff. Like, it, you know, I wasn't hearing that in the news. Cause that was like, that was October yeah. of 2012. It wasn't, that word was not being used very much in the United States or even on the news. And so I rebranded, I rebranded myself. I I adopted a new character 
And, um, I was also, you know, looking into new costume designs. And at the time when I was going through the challenges, I was been watching, um, an old, old episodes of this yeah. television show called Isis, which is about goddess Isis. And is like, she was a superhero and, um, Joanna Pang, who was my ballet master, DeFazio, Lynette DeFazio, Joanna was actually in the show. She was a Hollywood actress. So I was like watching like old videos of Joanna in ISIS. And, um, and it actually inspired my new design, my costume design. And, yep. um, nope. You, we're, did we're I getting answer there. your question? <laughs> You're giving me the, the true superhero origin story of resilience. I can so, talk yeah, a going. lot. I am. Yeah. Oh, and so when you get the book, um, wow. one of the last pages is actually my dream. And so when people talk to me at like comic cons or anything, and they're really into, into the book or into like the story or into like whatever, you know, I, I kind of like assess what people would, might be interested in, but every once in a while I'll share with someone like, yeah, this came to me in a dream and I'll show them the That's page and they just look at it like, like wow. I said, I've seen the artwork and, yeah. um, and I'll be posting <laughs> it for people to see, but the, the art is absolutely beautiful. Um, it, it's really, it's like a throwback to the golden era of comics, but at the same time, it's still quite modern and fresh and the story reminds me a little bit of Superman in that you've got this alien who's cast out. Um, mm -hmm. But what, what kind of challenges does resilience face when she gets out without giving too much away? Oh man. What does she face? She faces mm. the agony of being different. The agony of being different. I can tell you, it's not easy mm. being raised around humans when you're an evolutionarian, especially and when you're an evolutionarian little, little child. being the planet that resilience comes from? A whole bunch from? of your evolutionarian. Uh, evolutionarian okay. is her, her um, alien race. And, um, okay. and she's from the planet of Terra Vitae. And so when she grows up on planet earth, um, she has special traits that start to develop and they interfere during regular human, okay. um, social structures. And when she doesn't know what's happening, she can be observed as strange. <laughs> And so she gets picked on. So as an adult, resilience, um, as very, um, as a very intricate character and personality, she has, um, this internal world that she's dealing with, like breaking through her own personal barriers and self doubts and self-imposed or maybe imposed by other mm -hmm. lies. So like things that she had carried with her, which yeah. I feel like is what people go through, right? When, when we go through life and people tease us or they make fun of us or people tell us like who they think we are, no, you are this. Yeah. And then, especially for kids, like they internalize that and then they believe it. And then that's what they project. And that's what they manifest, whether it's good or bad. And so, um, and so 
resilience, um, she's, she's like anybody else dealing with her own internal dialogue, dealing with the external dialogues, dealing with her own internal challenges and then dealing with the external challenges and all the while she's combating climate change. And then, and then we have Apophis and Apophis just wants to destroy everything, including resilience. So then we just got a lot of problems going on and she just got to move through everything. And if you want to find out any more, you've got to get the comic. My copy has been bought. It's on its way. Um, where can people, where right. can people buy the comic? Where can they meet you? What, what, what are you doing going forward? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, the comic is available on my website. It's www.rbrorg.com. And, um, you can order it online. Um, the first book is released. So that's the origin story. So you learn about the planet of Terra Vitae. You learn about resilience's family, a little bit about, um, the legends of their planet. And, um, and then the future episodes are real time in the Bay area. And I wrote 13 episodes, um, in 2014. So, uh, Book one is published. I'll be working on publishing book two and book three this year. And um, also uh, working on writing season two. In contact with you. So there's your website. Um, What what other outlets or media can they get hold of you on? Because we're in an age of Uh social media. Everyone's very reachable. So where else can they reach you? Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So on my website, I have my social media handles. And so... um, it's fixed at the top and you have my Instagram, my Facebook, my Twitter, um, my YouTube channel where you can Mm -hmm. get like my documentaries. If you just really want to get into the nitty gritties of climate change, um, they're highly informative. And I talk about climate change, what that means locally. And then also on a global aspect, because I want, I really want people to understand that we're, we're, we're a collective community and we're all interconnected and um what we do on one side of the world impacts someone else on the other side of the world and so climate change impacts us all and when we hurt ourselves or we hurt someone else we're hurting ourselves or vice versa so um so you can get my documentaries there and um and I think I did it. the same the other day. I, I did like a social media lot. audit yeah. and went through and then I noticed I had LinkedIn right at the end. I was like, well, what's that? Well, ugh, I should turn that off. And then I couldn't remember the password. So I just left it on. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah right because right. you also told so, me earlier about your password challenges so you're, you're so you're writing <laughs> <my> um, <laughs> the next season the next episodes are coming soon um as for yourself what have you got anything mm-hmm. happening um in february or march or, or even april that people may be able to go to or um yeah oh my gosh yeah i'm so excited that you asked because I, I would have forgotten <laughs> Um, and I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I'm like, yeah, 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 I gotta tell you. So, um, I am, let's see, I'm doing a book signing next Thursday. 
um, which is super exciting because I just, um, I just finished last week, um, a comic book convention, the black and brown, um, art, uh, comic arts festival, which was really great. And, um, I got a lot of support there and doing a a local book signing um, because I don't Um, know when people will be listening to this. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, whenever they list it, they can always just go to my website. My website um, will be updated with events and everything. But um, in February, I'll be in the uh, Black Joy Parade and I'll also have a table there. And um, I'll be releasing my music video, my superhero theme song soon, which is so really exciting. Music video and, and a song? Yeah. Oh. I, I finally. Oh, yeah. I need sound effects. I'm getting sound effects for this podcast because I need Earth that with a drop to bomb and some applause right there. <laughs> sound effects are coming, guys. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, so that's coming out, and then um, I'm also working on a carbon calculator. So stay tuned for that because that is going to be a tool that people can plug into and start taking control of their decisions or actions in life and start realizing like how truly powerful they are. So they can be like, yo, I'm a hero. And in this story, I'm saving the world starting with my world, my community, and it adds up. So, so let me get this straight. So Um, it's going to be a website and then I'm just going to surmise this for myself. So, so far you have been Miss Alameda um miss california you've changed laws oh sorry miss Al- okay miss alameda oh, there, oh let, no, me not, let me not add too much to the list miss- so miss okay. alameda a, a climate change leader an author you've <laughs> produced your own film you've produced your own comic and now you're producing your own um app as well on top of your music video and song as well as acting too yes okay i'm just making sure i'm just making sure i've fully got all of that and so for anybody listening (laughs) to to this i think that's just proof that sometimes you just got to do it i mean that's you're super accomplished yeah and i i i just want to really take this opportunity just to thank you for just sharing some of that with me and some of the people listening not only is what you're doing just wonderful work um you're creating and producing things in this world that are making a difference to this planet and the people on it and i cannot commend you enough for that that is absolutely fantastic again that's where I would be pushing the applause and sound effects button. Well, I'm definitely getting those. <laughs> that, that's definitely happening now. I'm definitely going to do that. That's just amazing. That Yay. is just amazing. So <laughs> before we get out of here and I, I stop taking up um, more of your precious time, is there any kind of like, uh, is there one piece of device or one thing that you would actionable piece of advice that you would recommend that the listeners of the show do other than get resilience birthright and check out your website um that they can do to 
make a difference regarding climate change and the planet? If there's one change that people could make, what would you say it would be? Yeah. Um, just start just start thinking about your choices on a regular basis. Um, just start making simple changes, even if it's something like riding your bike or walking more, or maybe you recycle, but you're still kind of confused on everything you can recycle, just educating yourself, um, composting. I, I can't express how important mm-hmm. it is for us to get our food scraps and food soil paper out of the landfill. Um, these are like the easiest, simple things that we can do on a regular basis to really keep down our methane gas emissions. Um, and then really start thinking about how can we reduce the amount of waste that we generate, you know, and, um, I have, what I forgot to mention Mm -hmm. is I have my blog as well. And so I write little blog posts about, um, simple changes people can make. And, um, so my blog is also available on my website and, um, you know, vote with your dollar. Um, a lot of the reason why we're facing climate change and what's happening to the planet is because believe it or not, the, um, collective, we, we are voting for it. We are demanding for things that are causing a ripple effect somewhere else on this planet. And so we have to start becoming aware of, okay. oh, sorry, there's a mow, um, a lawnmower in the backyard. Um, but we, um, but the things that we choose to support sends sends a message. Sends a message. And one thing that I remember hearing at a convention um a couple years ago, um, maybe it was like five years ago, I remember they were talking about corporate responsibility and corporations taking responsibility for what they're doing and for their waste and the products they're producing and and you know, sending like make creating commercials to inform the public and taking responsibility. And someone literally said that the way corporations are structured, um, that they have the decisions that the, that the heads have to make have to be ethical and their ethical standing is Mm -hmm. if it hurts their shareholders, it's unethical. So it would be technically unethical for them to put out an environmental commercial or invest in certain programs because mm. it wouldn't necessarily support the shareholders' value, their investment value. So technically, it would be unethical. So the way corporations are structured right now, um, they it's only it's only a matter about increasing the shareholder dollar, and so the way people can take control of that and actually take control of the driver's seat is say, Oh, you're not doing what we want. Well then we're removing your dollar because then it will be ethical for them to respond because at that point by not responding, they're losing money. Oh, oh, you say it. You say what you said just then. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Always comes down to money. Fantastic. Okay. Well, Jessica Jane Robinson, resilient spur fright, recycle woman, climate change leader. Thank you so much. Thank you so yeah. much for your time. Um, we'll be talking again on 
Instagram, I'm sure, and we'll 100% be staying in contact. Thank you so much, listeners, um, people who are checking out the podcast. Please follow this lady, purchase her product, go on the website, and most definitely vote with your dollar. These companies will not make a change unless we make them change. Yeah. So there we have it. Thank you so much.